Welcome to Standing Firm, a Come Follow Me podcast. Here are your hosts, Jordan and Louis Unga. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Standing Firm. Thank you for joining us. If you're joining us, uh, you are here for our very first show. This is uh, an exciting day. And it was a long time coming, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have to admit, I was a little bit nervous today. It was a nervous excitement, but it was nerves nonetheless. Right. What we'd like to do, since this is our first show, is spend a few minutes introducing ourselves to the listening audience, and then we'll tell you a little bit about the show and what you can expect week in and week out. Don't want to spend a ton of time on this because we do have a lot of great material to cover. But uh, Jordan, how about you go ahead and start us off? Yeah, absolutely. So my name's Jordan. I am the youngest of, there's five in our family. We've got Big Lou here. He's the oldest. We have our brother Lonnie, our sister Christina, and our other brother John. And I'm the last one. I'm number five. Been married to my beautiful wife, Morgan, for, we're going to be going into year nine here. It's definitely flown by fast. In those years, we've brought in three beautiful children into this world. We have Andy, who's going to be turning six in a couple of days. Our son, Johnny, who's three, and our other son, Rudy, who just turned one. So it's definitely fun having three kids under six years old, but we are loving every minute of it. A little bit about me. I've worked in real estate, everything from property management to land development since about 2015. And currently I'm working on my PhD program at Grand Canyon University. I guess the only fun fact about me I'd like to share is I'm just a huge fan of anything Arizona sports. I'm really sorry about that, by the way. <laughs> Thanks for that, Jordan. As for myself, as Jordan mentioned, I'm Lou. My wife of 13 years is Brittany. Yesterday was actually our 13th wedding anniversary. Happy anniversary, man. Yeah, thanks. Four kids for us. Our oldest is our only son, Xander, who's 16. And then our beautiful daughter, Zaylee, who is almost 14. Lillian is 10. And then Jordan, who's... Name is inspired by you, Jordan. She's six years old. I attended Arizona State for school. I was a marketing major. And for 24 years, I've spent my entire career in the golf industry, running high-end golf clubs. Currently work at a fantastic, very successful golf club here in the Phoenix area where we live. Just like Jordan, very busy family season of life for me. Uh, we're right in that phase where it seems like Something's happening every single night, but that's awesome. It's a lot of fun. I wouldn't have it any other way. So a little bit about the show, about the middle of last year, we started talking about the possibility of us doing a podcast together because we have a lot of shared interests between sports and uh, family and with some nudging here and there from some family members, we decided to go all in on this show. This show will follow the Come Follow Me curriculum of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So if you're not familiar or if you're not a member of the church, this is a formatted curriculum that members of the church study together worldwide. And this phrase is probably a little bit overused, but I can honestly say that it's been life-changing for me over the last several years as I've yeah. strived to devote myself to it. There's definitely a power that you can feel with so many people turning their thoughts and uh, energy and attention to the same scripture material week in and week out. So this show will run each week. We're going to try really hard to batch produce shows and provide you with timely content. We're aiming for about a 20-minute show. Depending on what material we have to cover during a particular week, we might end up with a show that's 15 minutes or a show that's closer to 30. 
but uh, that's what we're aiming for, about 20 minutes. There isn't a single show out there that is for everyone. There are a lot of really great podcasts that deal with the topic of Come Follow Me and the scriptures in general. And I think you can tell from our introductions that we're not scriptorians or historians. Neither one of us has ever been a professor of religious studies. We are simply two brothers who have an abiding love for the Word of God as recorded in Holy Scripture. And we hope that people will find value in that and find value in what we do and the things that we have to share. So the next part of this, we're going to introduce the tear jar. <laughs> the tear jar. Tear jar. The, the tear jar is actually mine and Jordan's way of poking fun at one another. One of the things that you'll hear from time to time on the show, probably every show, is when we discuss a topic or read a particular quote or scripture or have a particular thought where the spirit kind of pierces our hearts, the tears will flow. And every time one of us cries, we're not going to call each other out in the moment, but we will throw $5 into our figurative tear jar and we'll actually give you a running total at the end of every show of where the tear jar stands. And at the end of the year, we'll make a donation to church humanitarian aid, which goes to help people in need all around the world. So excellent cause. That's awesome. Just for reference, Louis, you're, you're like six, five, six, four, and I'm six, three. And so as you're listening to the show and we start to choke up, it could be a funny picture to see, you know, just two <laughs> huge men just loud crying it out. So that's what happens. So with all of that out of the way, we'll dive into this week's reading. This week, we're focusing on the amazing, incredible introductory pages of the Book of Mormon. These pages include everything from the title pages, plural title pages, to the testimonies of the three and eight witnesses, which we'll dive into in just a bit, and also some more important background information. I think at least for me, when I've endeavored to start reading the Book of Mormon, I start at First Nephi chapter one, which is a fine place to start. But right. if you're reading the Book of Mormon with the intent of gaining a testimony and witness of it. There are some really powerful things here in these introductory pages that should not be missed. And that's what we're going to discuss today. I think you hit an interesting point that the Book of Mormon has two title pages. First one is just a normal title page you're going to see in any published work, right? No. The second title page was actually included in the last leaf of the golden plates that was translated by the prophet Joseph Smith. And throughout the show, especially in this episode, you're going to hear the word translated and translation, which is very impactful. But in this title page that was translated, it's going to point out a couple different things, but it's going to follow two groups of people, one known as the Nephites, one known as the Lamanites. And it just highlights their journeys and their dealings with God and their own way of finding Christ. Whenever I think of this title page in the Book of Mormon in general, I always have this sequel analogy in my head. Sometimes on the show, you'll hear me talk about Star Wars because I'm a huge Star Wars geek. Not as big a geek as, as one of our other brothers, Jonathan. What's up, John? <laughs> but definitely geek territory for me. So when you talk about Star Wars and the best Star Wars movies, everyone can agree that the original Star Wars trilogy was the gold standard. But, Amen. But decades later, in 2016, in fact, a new film called Rogue One was released. And it took place alongside the original Star Wars movie. Same time, same galaxy, some shared characters and some different characters. But at the end of the day, that movie was so well done and so successful that even Star Wars purists rate Rogue One as one of the best. Hmm. And it isn't even part of a trilogy. So if you're not familiar with the Book of Mormon, that is exactly what the Book of Mormon is. 
It takes place alongside the Old and New Testaments, and it completes the story of Jesus Christ. And when I endeavored to gain a testimony of the Book of Mormon, when I read it for the first time and with enough emotional maturity to try to find the Jesus of the New Testament, to my shock and amazement and to my utter delight, I found him on every single page of that book. Oh, it's very powerful, Lou. I really love how you said that it completes the story of Jesus Christ. You did a great job of showing how they're intertwined and they're connected and they're happening at the same time. You have the Old Testament and the New Testament. In total, they have 66 records that make up the Holy Bible. And from those 66 records, you've had billions, billions of people fall in love with this Jesus. Yeah. Fall in love with him, knowing him as the savior of mankind, knowing him as chief and friend, right? Yeah. Now, Book of Mormon is 15 additional books that are doing exactly what, you know, I love that connection you said. It's Star Wars Rogue One. It's continuing the story of Jesus Christ. It's showing that Christ wasn't just the good shepherd in one part of the world. He was, he was the good shepherd who manifests himself into all nations. But jumping gears, going to the other points that you know, stood out to me in the title page, you have this prophet Moroni, and he's wrapping everything up. He's the last prophet that is spoken of in the, the Book of Mormon. And his last statement, his final message to us all, to me, he highlights three solid points. One is to show us who the remnant of Israel was, who is the descendants of Abraham. Two, his purpose was to testify of the plain and precious truths. You know, that God is our loving Heavenly Father, and that Jesus is the Christ. And that leads right into the third one, to convince all that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal Savior, and he manifested himself to all nations. That's so cool. That is what the Book of Mormon is. The Book of Mormon is and accomplishes all three of those action verbs. And of those three that you mentioned, I bet you can probably guess which one is my favorite. Is it to convince? It is. So convincing. So they say that prophets don't waste any words, and I completely believe that. And I love that the Lord chose to use the word convincing there through his prophet, because to me, it acknowledges two very important things. The first thing it acknowledges is agency, right? Agency is our freedom to choose. And this acknowledges that God's people are a free people. And whenever you're trying to get a free person to do something, or in this case, accept something, there are a couple of ways that you can go about it. The first one is to compel them to accept it or to do it. And if you go that route, guess what? They're not free anymore. <laughs> and the other way that you have to do it is you, you must convince them. You must convince right. them that it's for them, that it's good for them. And the second thing it acknowledges is that conversion is a journey. It's not a destination. I love that. True conversion to the gospel of Jesus Christ and conversion to lifelong discipleship of Jesus Christ requires constant and repetitive convincing. And that's what the Book of Mormon does for me. It's what what the Book of Mormon does for millions of people around the world. And it's why we are exhorted and invited to read the Book of Mormon over and over again every single day, because we need that constant, consistent, repetitive convincing. I love how you used that word consistency. There's just something special about that. And I think that's how the Lord operates. That's proven in the Bible that testifies that the Lord's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I think you can also tie that um, principle into the use of prophets. We learn in the Old Testament, in the book of Amos, 
the Lord reveals to us that surely he'll do nothing except reveal his secrets into his servant prophet. God's always had a prophet on the earth and he's used them to do his will. You know, and I think that's something important that we'll touch on throughout this show and throughout the whole year is just the excellent use of prophets. Right. So moving on to the introduction to the Book of Mormon, this is a section of the Book of Mormon that wasn't included in a lot of the early editions. In fact, it was first published in the 1981 edition. And there's a little bit of ambiguity, a little bit of confusion as to who actually wrote the introduction. When I read that introduction to the Book of Mormon, I see and hear a lot of the same cadence and tone and use of words of Elder Bruce R. McConkie, who was a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles at that time. Whether Elder Elder McConkie was involved in writing this or not, I don't know. It may have been written by several people who were involved in the administration of the church. We know it was included under the direction of President Spencer W. Kimball, who was the president of the church at the time. But there are some amazing things in this introduction to the Book of Mormon, no matter who wrote it. I think for me, one of the other points that stands out to me that I think is very important to highlight is the Book of Mormon is not the Mormon's Bible. You've heard people say, oh, you know, you guys have your own Bible and that leads into, oh, you have your own Christ. It's a different Christ than mine. But I think right. that's something that needs to be cleared up. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they read the Holy Bible and the Book of Mormon together because it, just like how we touched on earlier, it tells the whole story of Jesus Christ. In no way at all is it taking place or taking away from the sacred principles that are taught in the Bible. In fact, they come together and they work side by side. An example of this, you know, we learn in John that the Savior is teaching a group of his followers. And in John chapter 10, verse 16, he says, look, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they shall hear my voice and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So he's literally telling them there's more people than just you guys here. Yeah. There's other people in the distant lands. One day I'm going to go to them and I'm going to teach them the same things that I just taught you. And one day there's going to be one fold and one shepherd. And when Christ makes his way to the Americas, we'll read later in the year, when Christ arrives in America, he teaches that same principle. Other sheep I have are not this fold. You are who I was talking about. And that is what the Book of Mormon is as well. It is the story of Jesus Christ and those other sheep. One thing I love, Jordan, in six years, we're going to celebrate the 200th anniversary of the publishing of the first edition of the Book of Mormon. Wow. And in those 200 years, there have been efforts, monumental efforts, unearthly efforts, actually, from all factions of evil, from just people in the world who haven't received a witness, who don't believe, to discredit this work, to discredit the work of the Prophet Joseph Smith, to discredit this entire movement. And in those 200 years, no one has been able to do it, and nobody ever will be able to do it. Yeah. But I love that on the other side of all of that debauchery, on the other side of all of, all of those efforts to deceive is a simple invitation in this introduction and throughout the Book of Mormon, a simple invitation to ask God and receive a witness. And that right there is the whole beauty of the entire message of the Book of Mormon, right? Yeah. It's taking the counsel that James invites us to do, also from the Bible, to if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Many religions and cultures, they use prayer, you know, 
exactly how it should be used, you know, and I admire them for that. But I also think how quickly do we forget that prayer is a form of two-way communication between God and man. Yeah. You know, and, and if God is there and if we are sincere, really wanting to know and really wanting to have an answer, God is bound to answer us. And he's able to do that through the spirit. Now, at the end of the introduction, Lou, if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and just read it. Great. It speaks to how we're going to receive that witness, feeling it from the Holy Spirit. So it goes on to say, those who gain this divine witness from the Holy Ghost will also come to know by the same power that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that Joseph Smith is his regulator and prophet in these last days, that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the Lord's kingdom once again established on the earth, preparatory to the second coming of the Messiah. It's a powerful promise. And the great thing about that is if you ask God and if you receive a witness about the Book of Mormon, all of those words are true. Every word that you just read, are all of them are absolutely true. And the Savior will come back. We'll move on now to the testimonies of the three and eight witnesses. This is, this is something that you can take a really deep dive into, and you could spend hours and hours talking about these two events and these two witnesses and everything that went into making those things happen. Sometimes people have asked over the years, and I've asked myself, why three and why eight? And when you think about it, if you add three and eight, and then you include the prophet Joseph Smith as the 12th person who is a witness of the Book of Mormon, you end up with a number 12 that is very significant throughout the ages. Mm. It's significant throughout the scriptures. And when I say the number 12, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? For me? Yeah. The 12 tribes of Israel. 12 tribes of Israel. To show the significance of the 12 tribes, many symbols have been used to remind us that there are 12 tribes, right? 12 pillars were built at Mount Sinai during the time of Moses. And then then again, 12 pillars in the promised land with Joshua. 12 oxen held up the water basin in Solomon's temple. And and, and by the way, that continues in all of the Lord's temples in modern day. Um, The apostolic commission throughout the ages and continuing today is administered by 12 apostles. When Jesus went uh, to the temple as a child and questioned and taught the scholars, how old was he? He was 12. He was 12. Our system of time, which I believe is divinely inspired, 12 months of the year. So there's so many examples of this number. And as we go along in our study of the Book of Mormon this year, you're going to see this number used as a symbol many times. And it's no wonder that there were 12 witnesses. As we talk about the three and and eight witnesses, I think sometimes we may not fully consider the weight of the assignment that Joseph Smith had upon his shoulders. How wonderful it must have been when he received word from the Lord that others would be able to see some of the things that he'd seen. Uh, The following quote that I'm going to read is from Lucy Mack Smith, and it's from the history of Joseph Smith by his mother. She says, quote, On coming in, Joseph threw himself down beside me and exclaimed, Father, Mother, you do not know how happy I am. The Lord has now caused the plates to be shown to three more besides myself. They have seen an angel who has testified to them, and they will have to bear witness to the truth of what I have said, for now they know for themselves that I do not go about to deceive the people, and I feel as if I was relieved of a burden which was almost too heavy for me to bear, and it rejoices my soul that I am not any longer to be entirely alone in the world. Oh, I love that quote, man. I've actually never heard that. It's the first time I've ever heard that. You said that was from Joseph Smith's mom? Yes. 
the first thought that comes to my mind after hearing that is you know, Prophet Joseph was so happy to have help. He was so happy to not have to carry this burden. He mentioned the word alone. So I couldn't help to think of you know, the only person on this, on this earth that we know from history and records that was ever truly alone was our Savior. During his time on Calvary, on the cross, he cried, Abba, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? He's the only person that ever truly been alone. And I think first thought that comes to my mind after hearing that was maybe God wanted Joseph to experience just for a moment what it was like to truly be alone. Yeah. It's a small percent of what Jesus felt. Yeah. And God was able to have him experience that, but very quickly offer him the support that he needed by allowing these three and eight witnesses to also see the record. I mean, it's powerful. Yeah, definitely. When we talk about the record later this year, when we study third DeFi, one of my favorite moments is when Jesus asks for the record to be brought to him and he takes some time to look through the material and then actually admonishes the Nephites for leaving some things out that he explicitly commanded to be in there. But I love that moment because first of all, it's a glimpse into the personality of the savior. It shows us that he is into the details, certainly of this record and protecting the integrity of the record. But in that same way, he's involved in the details of all of our lives and he's interested in making things better. He's interested in helping to shoulder that burden that we all bear and when life gets really heavy. But mostly it shows the Savior's love and reverence for the record and its vital importance in God's work and glory, which is the immortality and eternal life of man. Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is the shepherd never rests. And that's a beautiful example from scripture showing Christ doing his due diligence. I think this also ties into what Paul declared to the Romans in Romans chapter eight, the spirit itself bears witness to our spirits that we are children of God. If that's true, if we are children of God, then that means that God loves us. Like an actual God loves us and he loves us enough to provide us Book of Mormon, loves us enough to send his son to look after the record to make sure that's perfect and had to be perfect because this is almost God's love letter to us. No, you're right. The translation had to be perfect. And to that point, about 25 years ago, if you haven't had your I'm feeling old moment yet, 25 years ago was 1999. What, did you graduate from high school though? Hush up. <laughs> 1999, President Nelson actually wrote and delivered what I think is the best sermon on the Book of Mormon that has ever been written. And I'm, I'm going to read a little part of that that deals with the translation of the Book of Mormon. He said, the King James Version of the Bible, for example, was produced by 50 English scholars who accomplished their work in seven years, translating at the rate of one page per day. Expert translators today do well if they can also translate scripture at the rate of one page per day. Now, granted, this was 1999, not the age of Google Translate. <laughs> Back to the quote. In contrast, Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon at the rate of about 10 pages per day, completing the task in about 85 days. Such a pace is even more remarkable considering the circumstances under which the prophet labored. In that same period, enduring constant distractions and incessant hostility, Joseph Smith moved more than 100 miles from Harmony, Pennsylvania to Fayette, New York. He applied for a copyright. He received revelations comprising 12 sections of the Doctrine and Covenants. Heavenly beings restored the Holy Priesthood. Yet he completed the translation 
in less than three months. Now, Jordan, we, as we wrap up here, we thought of lots of different ways that we could end this show. And, and we talked about one of us or both of us bearing our personal witness to the Book of Mormon, but I thought it would be amazing since it's been given to us to read word for word Jesus's own testimony of the Book of Mormon. This is from Doctrine and Covenants, section 17. Speaking to the three witnesses, he says, And ye shall testify that you have seen them, even as my servant Joseph Smith Jr. has seen them, for it is by my power that he has seen them, and it is because he had faith. And he has translated the book, even that part which I have commanded him, and as your Lord and your God liveth, it is true. Wherefore, you have received the same power, and the same faith, and the same gift like unto him. And if you do these last commandments of mine which I have given you, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you, for my grace is sufficient for you, and you shall be lifted up at the last day. And I, Jesus Christ, your Lord and your God, have spoken it unto you, that I might bring about my righteous purposes unto the children of men. Amen. Amen. I think you hit it right on the nose, Lou. That's the best way to wrap up is the words of the Savior. And I don't think there's much more that we can add to that. That is a wrap for today's show. We're so thankful to all of you who've joined us and who will join us in future shows. We're really excited to work on this project together. The tear jar is off to a great start. $15 in the tear jar for show number one on our way to what I'm sure will be hundreds and probably thousands of dollars for church humanitarian aid. <laughs> We're going to end this show and every show with a saying that shares a little bit of our Tongan culture in the language of our father, Tu'uma'u, which means stand firm. For Jordan, I'm Luke. Happy studying, and we'll talk to you in a week. Thanks, guys. Standing Firm, a Come Follow Me podcast, is a production of Sierra House Publishing, LLC. The show, or any opinions expressed therein, are not affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. For a transcript of today's show, please visit our website at standingfirmpodcast.com.